If you'd like to turn to the book of Mark, go to the 14th chapter, and uh, there are some sermon notes if you'd like to follow along with the sermon notes this morning. So Mark chapter 14, have you ever been falsely accused of something you didn't do? I think we all have. If you are to go to work tomorrow and the boss calls you in the office and he or she falsely accuse you of stealing from the company, and you know you're innocent, how would we respond? Well, most of us would step up and we'd defend ourselves, wouldn't we? We, and rightly so, you know, we would uh, defend ourselves and try to straighten out whatever we were accused of that we didn't do. Interesting, the context of the scripture that we're going to look at Beginning in Mark chapter 14, then we'll go into chapter 15. We're, we're looking at is at the end of Jesus' life. Jesus is betrayed by Judas. So we go through the book of Mark. We talked about that last week, the week before. Jesus is betrayed by Judas. He's, he is arrested and he's placed on trial. And he's going to be falsely accused. And now he's totally innocent and the interesting thing of that his defense of being falsely accused is very weak. In fact, he really doesn't defend himself. Jesus doesn't defend himself of these, accus- of these accusations. He has asked several questions, but doesn't respond to most of the questions. He stands out before them silently as they throw one accusation after another before Jesus. The question comes to our mind, why didn't Jesus defend himself? He was on trial for his life, and yet he remains quiet. Why was Jesus silent? Well, let's look in Mark chapter 14, and we'll start with verse 53 this morning. And they led Jesus away to the high priest, and with him were assembled all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes. But Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. Let me stop here and say that Caiaphas... That was the name of the high priest. And at that time, it's interesting that there was two high priests. There was an official high priest that was recognized by the Roman government, Caiaphas. And there was Annas, who was recognized by the Jewish leaders and, and the Jewish people. And so, interesting, there was another trial before the meeting with the high priest Caiaphas we just read about. Now, Mark doesn't record this. But in the other gospel, in John chapter 18, there is a meeting. So when Judas comes and the soldiers take away Jesus, they bring him to Annas, the high priest that was recognized by the Jewish leaders, and who is really the real power behind the Sanhedrin. And uh, and interesting to note that there was another trial that Mark doesn't record in Luke chapter 22 
of an official daylight trial recorded uh, in Luke 22. Now, there's some similarities between these trials. The same people were involved, and uh, there were actually three phases of trials before the Jewish authorities, and there were three phases of his trial before the Roman authorities. So understand here that there are six times that Jesus is brought before a group of men. Three in the religious authorities and three of the Roman government that he is brought before and he is accused of these things that they say about Jesus and of course he is innocent of them. And upon his arrest, Jesus is first taken to Annas, then to an illegal night court of the Sanhedrin, which uh, Caiaphas is the high priest, then to an official daylight trial of the Sanhedrin. And the reason that it it was given uh, twice in the Sanhedrin because it was illegal for the Jewish authorities to have a night uh, court, a night trial. And so they performed another daylight into saving face and to make things right in the eyes of the people. There were a lot of irregular things going on, illegal things that were happening here at Jesus' trial. And then Jesus was taken to the Roman government because the Jewish leaders didn't have the authority to put him to death. They sent him to Pilate, who then is sent back to Herod, who sent uh, Jesus back to Pilate. So Pilate starts off with Pilate, then he goes and he tries to transfer it to to Herod, and then he, and Herod said, you know, I can't find anything wrong with him to put him to death, and he comes back to Pilate. And eventually, of course, we know that Pilate gives them liberty to send Jesus to the cross. So there were six trials after Judas uh, betrayed Jesus, and they took him and arrested him, and uh, six trials, three with religious leaders and three with Roman governments. So let's go on in verse 55 of Mark chapter 14. Now the chief priests and all the council sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimonies did not agree. <laughs> now I don't know, this just is just, uh, I'm not going to get into political rant, but they're just, things are happening, you know, in our system today, in our country today, and and, and so, uh, but we won't go there, of course. And, uh, but there was, this, there was this trial that came across. For many bore false witness against him, and their testimonies did not agree. And then some rose up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. And, of course, he was speaking not of the building itself, but he was speaking of himself, and they didn't get that. And so essentially, Jesus was being accused of being a terrorist, that he was going to destroy the temple building itself, the walls, the structure. And in that day, it was a serious accusation. Because if you were accused of that, or if you did destroy the temple, you did destroy something that was uh, sacred, it was a a capital offense. They could truly uh, put him to death according to the laws. But Jesus wasn't talking about that, and they didn't get that. Verse 59, but not even did their testimony agree. 
I mean, it must have been a frustrating thing for the religious leaders as they brought up one witness, and then this witness said something, and they said, okay, yeah, that's right, that's right. And then this witness would come and contradict what that witness said, and, and, and so they were puzzled, and they were frustrated with all this going on. They couldn't find witnesses that could testify of the same thing. And the reason was is because it was a mockery of a trial. There was false accusation. There was no truth to it. We find that Jesus then is questioned personally, and we hear his, some of his testimony. Verse 60. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked, saying, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But he kept silent and answered nothing. We would have to say, Jesus, do you understand? Your life is on the line here. And you're not saying anything about this. Say something. Defend yourself. Again, the high priest asked him, saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus does answer it. And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power uh, and coming with the clouds of heaven. Now, we might say, Jesus, your life is on the line. There are times that you're to speak up, and there's times where you're quiet. This would be a time to be quiet about this, Jesus. It would make for a better defense for your life. But as we go through this, Jesus is clearly identifying who he was. There was no mistake about that. He was speaking truth. He was the Christ. He was the Messiah. He was the Son of God. Jesus never wondered who he was. He never had an identity crisis. He never, he, I mean, he knew what his purpose was, and this trial was matching his purpose. There have been times in my life and perhaps times in your life when you wondered, no, who really am I? Or what is my purpose? Why am I here? And when you get that settled, it is a powerful thing. It gives great confidence when you know who you are, and you know your purpose in life. And then it doesn't matter what others may say or what others may think or even do to you because you know who you are. If you're in Christ, you have this great confidence, a great purpose that goes beyond this life. Well, Jesus knew who he was. Very clear of this. Let's go to verse 63. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, what further need do we have of witnesses? You've heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. Then some began to spit on him and to, and to blindfold him and to beat him and to say in him, prophesy, prophesy. And the officers struck him with the palms of their hands. What a scene here. Caiaphas, the high priest, as, as he hears what Jesus is saying in his response, he takes his priestly high priest robe and he rips it. Now, this was a common practice during that culture. And you had a loved one who passed away and, and you were grieving or sorrow. It was common that several times in the Bible they talked about the ripping and tearing their garments and sorrow and agony and wailing. That was common in there. But it was illegal for the high priest to tear his priestly garment. 
He did something that was totally illegal for him. He took that which was a piper and he ripped it. Notice in Exodus chapter 28, and I'm going to read a couple verses. It says, you shall make the robe of the ephod of all blue, and there shall be an opening for his head in the middle of it, and shall be woven a binding around its, its opening like the opening in a coat of mail, so that it does not tear. What was against the law for the priest to tear his garment was actually a testimony to the real truth, because when he ripped that robe, which he wasn't supposed to, when he ripped that robe in, in agony and in response to what Jesus said as blasphemy, he ripped it, and maybe he threw it at Jesus' feet, I don't know, but in that instant, in that action, get this, in reality, the Jewish high priest was coming to a close, because before him was the eternal high priest, our high priest, that is getting ready to step into that place to be our high priest and take that position. And all this was done at that day and at that moment, at that time on the day of atonement. The high priest could not sit down on the day of atonement until the sacrifices was made for the sins of the people. He was doing the duty of the high priest that day. He was going to go into that, that day of atonement, that holy holies, with, with, the, with the sacrifice for the lamb, uh, of, the, of the lamb for the sacrifice for the sins of the people. And here Jesus is standing and he just said, I'm going to come again. And I am sitting down at the right hand of the Father. And what Jesus is saying, he says that I'm going to be ready to be the high priest and I'm going to offer, I'm going to be that lamb, I'm going to be the sacrifice for the sins of the world and I'm going to come and I am going to sit down because it'll be completed, it'll be finished forever. I think about this. Caiaphas' action of grief was actually an action of truth about Jesus Christ. They thought Jesus had played right in their hands, and actually they were being played into God's hand, and, and they couldn't outsmart God, couldn't outdo, uh, think what Jesus was doing and what God was doing. Now, the latter part of chapter 14, for the sake of time, we're going to skip over Peter, but... Uh, he had a denial of Christ three times in that passage, and just like Jesus said he would, would do this. So let's go to jump over to chapter 15. And let's read the first five verses of Mark chapter 15. Immediately in the morning, the chief priest held a constitution, a, excuse me, a, a consolation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him to Pilate. It's interesting that the Roman government, when they had a trial, when they would start the day, those trials were at the first of the day. I mean, it's the very start, the beginning of the day when sunrise, and, and they would gather around, and, and they'd have those trials, and, and he would deal with those things first thing in the morning. And so, truly, when they got up that morning, and, and now, in fact, when they were uh, up all night, they made sure that they were at the front of the line to see Pilate. Verse number two, and then Pilate asked him, said, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered, said to him, it is as you say. And the chief priests accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. And Pilate asked him again, saying, do you answer nothing? See how many things they testify against you. 
But Jesus still answered nothing, so that Pilate marveled. I would imagine that Pilate in that great hall there in the judgment that there were people that all the time coming through and, and they would be begging for mercy. They would have this strong speech and trying to defend themselves and they were there and, and maybe even graveling and, and, and begging for mercy at the feet of Pilate. The judge is there. And here comes Jesus. He's silent. When you think of the amount of words that Jesus said, when, when G, Judas kissed Jesus on the cheek and handed him over to the soldiers there, and then we go all the way to the cross when he died upon the cross, Jesus says very little from the, that evening, the night before he's crucified, to the time he's crucified. I count in the scripture of, of about 272 words that are mentioned in the scripture about Jesus. Jesus made approximately 19 statements during the end of his life, during these trials, these six trials. Seven sayings, he said, he spoke from the cross. If you were to read all that Jesus said during that time from Judas, the rest of Jesus to the cross when he died, it would take you about three to four minutes to say what Jesus said at those last hours. The question leaps from the pages of the Bible. Why was Jesus silent? Was he a coward? No. Fearful? Perhaps. His life was at stake. I think the first thing that we could say that Jesus was silent because of the hardness of their heart. You know, when people have their mind made up, it does no good wasting words and time and energy when they already have their mind made up. And so perhaps this was Jesus, and he was saying, he was thinking, there, there they were. They had, already had, they, they had already convicted him before the trial. He's already guilty. There's no way they were going to be talked out of that. There are people in our life that are like that, you know. You try to tell them something, and man, it's just, it's just not sinking in. It's like pouring water on a brick. It's just running over. It's, it's, it's just not there. Proverbs calls them a fool. A fool is, is when he won't listen, and it just goes on and on their way. And in those situations, I think one of the things that I would say to do is, is that you just got to let them go. Don't waste your time and, and, and pray for them and be in their life. And, and, and uh, when they start coming around, and, and maybe you, God's got to bring them to some circumstances where he's going to soften them up and they're going to start listening. And then that's the time when they're starting to listening, we can come in and we can help them and encourage them and, and we can have this conversation. I think of Jesus. We stood before these men. They were stone-faced. They were dead set on convicting Jesus. And he knew that. And he already told them everything that he needed to tell them, and they didn't get it. This was not the first time 
that he had a meeting with these men. I think of Jesus. You see, Jesus was the greatest debater ever. Jesus never lost an argument. He was never tricked by the Pharisees. He was never stumped with their question. He was never put on the, def- on the defensive. He was always on the offensive. He won every argument that they could throw at Jesus. He didn't take the bait for their traps. He wowed the audience with his sermons. He spoke of things way beyond their minds. His intelligence of life exceeded the best of the best. His knowledge of the, of the scriptures was absolutely perfect. He knew every verse in the Old Testament and the correct interpretation. He had power to heal the sick, give blind to their sight, raise the dead, walk on water, calm the storms, turn water into wine, claim that he was the living water, that if anyone would drink of him, they would never thirst again. He could love his enemies, do good to those who persecute him, call those who betrayed him a friend, and forgive those who abused him and said they didn't know what they were doing. That's who Jesus was. It could be said of Jesus that he was the greatest attorney to have ever lived. And when it counted the most, that he could put his skills of debate and communication and lessons and teaching and scripture, and he could have brought that to the forefront and won that battle of words. We could say it seems that he made a terrible mistake in his plan of defense and it cost us his life. He was silent when he should have spoken out in defense. He started things that he stated things that should have been better to have been left silent. His own words incriminate him according to the religious leaders. Are you the son of God? Are, are, you, are you him? Are you God? And he answered, yes, I am Christ. Are you the king of the Jews? Absolutely, I'm the king. Why would Jesus be silent? And then when he spoke, he stated words that would move a judgment to a guilty verdict by the Sanhedrin. He played right into their hands. It's the first time that it ever happened in his life. Why? It's by no accident. It's by no crafty trickery of these men. Why was Jesus silent? What was he thinking? He kept his mouth shut. This is heavy. He kept his mouth shut because of his love for you. And for me. He spoke the truth. And wouldn't even incriminate him and put him on the cross because of his love for you and for me. And for no other reason. He was moved to be our sacrifice. He became guilty. He chose to be guilty. Yet he was innocent. So we wouldn't have to face the guilty verdict of our sins. So we could become righteous or innocent in the eyes of God. 
I think it's best said 700 years before Jesus was nailed on the cross by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 53. And I want to read you this chapter. It's a truthful description of who Jesus is and what he did for us. Powerful statements are made in Isaiah 53. Again, 700 years before cross was a prophetic statement, a description of how Jesus would live and how he would die. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. This is Jesus, the scripture of Jesus. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God. We thought a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shears. He did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants. That his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He did done. He had done no wrong. He had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants and he will enjoy a long life. Yet the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. And when he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied because of his experience. My righteous servants will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. Now give him the honor of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. This is my Jesus. Jesus. He was silent except with questions about who he was. I think that's the biggest thing that we could take away from why he was silent. Jesus wanted to be very clear, make it very clear who he was. There's no doubt, and he, he stepped up and he said, yes, I am the Christ. If we're asking Jesus, he said, Jesus is the Christ. Yes, I am the Christ, and I am the King. Jesus is the King. He is both the Christ and the king. And those two different trials was brought out. He identified, I am the king of kings. I am Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. One of the greatest questions that you and I could ever answer is who Jesus is. 
who Jesus is. It not only affects our eternal destination, but it affects our day-to-day life. A.W. Tozer wrote this. He said, the man who comes to a right belief about God is relieved of 10,000 temporary problems. For he sees at once these things, that these have to do with matters which is the most, which at most cannot concern him for, ever, for very long. It affects us in our life with what we believe who Jesus is. Would you bow your heads in prayer? Jesus was silent for you and I. It's an amazing thing. You see, the soldiers didn't take his life. He gave his life. He wasn't overwhelmed, overpowered, strong-armed into going to the cross. When Jesus was born, he came with the purpose of living and dying for the sins of the world for your sins and for my sins. It's a wonderful thing when Jesus stood there. It's an amazing thing. Pilate and Herod both were amazed at his response to this trial. They had never seen anyone like this. Who is Jesus to you this morning? Is he, your, is he your Messiah? Is he your King? Or is he just a story? Is he just a man to you? Oh, Jesus is more than just a story. Jesus is more than history. Jesus is more than just a good man. He was God manifest in flesh. He was our Savior, our Christ our king. And one day he will rule and reign and correct everything that is wrong in this world. He promises to make everything right. Perhaps you're here this morning, God invites you, inviting you to come and join Jesus, realizing that you're a sinner and realizing that Jesus paid the penalty for your sin. And just open up your heart. Say, Jesus, I accept you. I know I'm a sinner. I accept who you are. My, my Christ, my Messiah, my Savior, my King. And if you're here this morning, you say, well, I don't know about that. That's okay. You just keep searching and keep asking God and even ask God to reveal himself to you and be amazed how God will come and talk to you and work in your life. But you can't be like those religious leaders that are hard-hearted. You've got to be open to listening to God. Allow Him to speak to you. Heavenly Father, we sit here in awe 
and wonder. Not only of your son, Jesus Christ, and how he could do that. But we think about you, Heavenly Father, how you could be silent. How you, in a relationship that's familiar to us as a father to a son, how you could refrain from sending 10,000 angels to rescue your son. How you could hesitate to, to not step in between harm and your son. How you could say and do nothing while your only son is falsely accused his name is ran through the mud. His body abused. It's a cruel death. How could you be silent, Father? And the only thing that we can think of, God, is your amazing grace, your amazing love for us. God, you love us so much you love each and every person in this room and you desire to help us wherever we're at you are for us and not against us you sacrifice you've paid the price greater than we could ever imagine oh god help us to see that how deep your love is for us. Father, we ask that you help us to just continue to grow in our love and appreciation for what you've done for us. And we praise you and give you glory all the things we have done and said in Jesus' name. Amen.